Hey, welcome back to BIV Today. We are the daily business news show from BIV Newspaper and BIV.com. And I'll say BIV once more because I'm BIV reporter Tyler Orton. I want to thank everybody for joining us on the show because of this week, we are continuing with our Women in Business podcast series. And we're going to have a discussion about changing culture in the workplace. I think it's a very important thing to do right now. And most importantly, I think we can have a discussion about the tangible ways that offices and organizations can go about changing these ongoing issues. So with us today, we have a BC business leader who can offer some unique insights into ways we can communicate and bring about those real changes that I'm talking about. With us, it's Jessica Norlander. She is Chief Operating Officer of the tech company Thought Exchange. It's been weathering the pandemic quite well, and I think we can get into that in just a moment. But first, I just want to say, Jessica, thanks for joining us on the show. Thank you so much. Great to be here. So first up, Thought Exchange, uh, you guys are based in Rossland, but it's very much a remote company. So you guys have been able to uh, adapt to the pandemic quite easily. And I also want to point this out. You guys have developed a platform specifically for communications. And I'm wondering if you can explain how it works and how it can be applied to furthering very important discussions that are going on right now. Yeah. Yeah, the, it's interesting you bring up the us being remote. So it's uh, we've actually been a, a remote first company, but still have had offices for the people that have wanted to go to them. So I think that something that all companies have been recognizing since the pandemic is that people and individuals have different needs, right? For some people, working from home is a, it's a fantastic solution. They you know they don't have to do the commute, and and you know it works better for them. Whereas for other people, their homes weren't really set up to work from home. Like younger people have smaller spaces to work out of. Some people have kids at home. These days, most people have their kids at home. So like some people have actually appreciated being able to go to an office. So I guess we've always had the approach that the individual knows where they do the best work and have offered kind of both offices and work from home opportunities. But since we were set up to make it possible for everyone to work from home, the shift for us was probably less painful than what it was for most other companies. Um, so yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah, moving forward, like obviously you guys have been able to weather this pandemic quite well. And I, I think a lot of companies are depending on you guys as well to engage in a lot of discussions. And, and tell me a, a lot about how you guys are able to help them out with the platform that Thought Exchange has developed here. Yeah, so our product is a, is a software that uh, we talk about it as, as being, uh, it makes it possible to scale conversations. So, you know, you and I are having a conversation now where we, we talk back and forth and I listen to you and, and you listen to me and, and we come with our input, right? That type of conversation gets pretty difficult to have as you get up to, you know, tens or, or hundreds or thousands of people. Like, how do you have a quality conversation about matters, like things that matters, with hundreds or thousands of people without getting into issues like, you know, the loudest voice in the room and the people that are always getting heard, like those types of things, right? And, and how do you make sure that you value an idea for its merits versus who the idea actually came from, right? And these are, you know, biases that we were struggling with across society in every time humans interact. So really what the platform is built around is the opportunity for a leader to ask an open-ended question to trigger scaled conversations with you know, 10 or, or 100 or 1,000 people. And more or less how it works is that the leader sends out an open-ended question. Each participant in this exchange gets the opportunity to answer with their own words to this question. And then you get introduced to the thoughts of the other people that are participating. So it lets you consider the thoughts of other people and rate them between one to five. And in that way, the group crowdsources the ideas and the thoughts in this exchange that is most, the most important for the group. 
So the leader gets a more or less a prioritized uh, insight into the thinking of the entire group and gets to access the collective intelligence of that group without the bias that comes with you know, this happening in, in, in a way where an idea is connected to the individual because the entire process is confidential and, and you don't disclose who you are as part of the scaled conversation. Well, you describe it as crowdsourcing these ideas, and I think that's a, a great description for it. And obviously, I, I think there's going to be a lot of ideas that need to be crowdsourced at the outset of this pandemic. A lot of people were talking, but I think globally, we were also having new discussions about diversity, especially in the wake of the George Floyd killing. Um, tell me a little bit about how you guys are able to kind of really seize on the moment that we're facing right now amidst this pandemic. Yeah, I think that I, I like to think about, you know, the conversations that people have, regardless if it's conversations between two individuals or if it's conversations that need to be had in bigger groups of people's like companies or school districts or communities, right, that they all fit in in some kind of hierarchy of trust, right? So, you know, if, if you walk into my office and you, you're one of my staff members and I can tell that you're, you know, you're, you're hurting from something, uh, I would start with asking you how you were doing, right? And, and is there anything I can do to help you? And I try to have those conversations with you before I, you know, lean into conversations like, so, so how can our organization get out of COVID more successfully? Or what's possible for our company if we just are a little bit more innovative, right? So I think a lot of the conversations that we're seeing really progressive leaders have right now around these topics is that they start at, you know, meet, with meeting people where they're at. And a lot of people, a lot of, you know, in society and, and also in companies are, are, are distressed right now. They're, they feel unsafe. They're worried about losing their jobs. They feel that society is stacked against them. Like there's a lot of um, inequalities in society, right? So if you're going to have these conversations as leader, we see that the most successful one starts at building the fundamentals level of trust by being able to start conversations in group about how are we collectively doing here? What can the company, for example, do to help you with the situation that you're in? And by unleashing that conversation and building trust, you can then start moving up in the hierarchy of actually starting to become more creative and solution oriented to the things that a company might have to do to survive, for example. So uh, especially when it has to do with, with issues around inequality, I think you need to start addressing people's general feeling about being safe and, and, and building trust before you can move on to, okay, what do we actually need to do? Yeah, and I think it's sometimes forgotten, or at least too often forgotten, though, but inclusivity, equality within the workplace, it is good for business, is it not? Oh, absolutely. I think that, you know, we've, I think, you know, 20 years ago, I think it was maybe still seen as a thing that, you know, good people did because it was seen to be something good in the world. I think that now there's enough research out there that points to, you know, the, the performance by, by more diverse teams and, and more diverse companies and organizations and, and how, they, uh, how, how they outsmart and outperform companies that are not less di diverse so, and, and inclusive. So I think that the, the, the research is definitely there these days. I was having a discussion earlier in this week as part of this series about how maybe the pandemic has given businesses and organizations an opportunity, even though things are very uncertain right now, but an opportunity to kind of, you know, shake up the, the plane deck to a certain degree, make things different, moving forward into a new future. Do you get that sense of that, uh, those questions about diversity, about inclusion, especially when it comes to gender, uh, workplace, uh, culture, that's really on the table right now in a way that maybe we haven't seen in previous years? Yes and no. I think that if you, it depends on what side of the table you're on. I okay. guess. 
I think that if you ask women or, or people of color if, if these issues have been on their minds forever, and if they've been top of minds for those people forever, I think people would say yes. Are they now top of mind for everyone? I, I truly hope so, right? So I, I guess it's a typical yes and to answer to that question. But I think that definitely it's, it's encouraging to see that maybe we have an opportunity now to actually drive you know, irreversible, sustainable change in some of these areas. So then what are some of the challenges that we're still facing, especially when we come uh, and have a discussion about, say, uh, you know, workplace culture and be more inclusive of, of say, uh, genders? Yeah, so I think that a lot of it, it this, is, this is my personal perspective, that I think that if we look at uh, the Western world today and if, if we look at it from a gender perspective, I think that very few people are consciously biased against women. I think, of course, we still have pockets of that, but I think that most of the bias that we're seeing is unconscious, right? And I think that a big part of addressing is that is accepting that we all are unconsciously biased. And it's not something that, you know, since it is unconscious, it's not something that you can just immediately address. It's something that you have to work with over time and put processes and systems in place to help you, right? Because if you go to, and if I take our product again as an example, if you go into uh, a large meeting with you know, 50 people in the same meeting, you kind of probably as a leader already know who you're going to hear from in this meeting, right? And then you also, if you're aware of unconscious bias, you know that as a leader, you might actually values, value ideas and opinions on, from different people differently, depending on who they are. If they're black women or if they're white men, if they have high seniority, if they're young, if they're old, like all of these biases come into place when we try to evaluate the opinions and thoughts and feelings of other people, right? And, but if we are aware that we have these unconscious biases, we can use technology, for example, and platforms and training to actually address some of those biases and help us alleviate them, right? And I think that that's really where the confidentiality of the platform, you know, comes into place, that, into play that, you know, any idea could come to the top as the highest rank from the group, regardless of who it came from, uh, which I think is a pretty powerful thing to be able to do in, in a society that is, in my opinion, inherently biased. That uh, anonymization might actually help things uh, change for the better, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think that most people that I think argue today for that you can have a, a completely inclusive and, and, and equitable conversation without um, anonymity, I think, I think that they underestimate the power of unconscious bias and how we're, as humans, uh, we, we haven't gotten as far as, as we think in, in this regard yet. You know, I, I've been discussing this with business leaders for, I, I would say, you know, seven, eight years now. I, I think there's more realization in the business world that we need to address uh, this. But um, just with regard, one of the constant things I hear, consistent things, though, is just this need for communication and, and mm. mentorship as well. But I, I do wonder, though, if more people are feeling a little bit siloed because of the pandemic. There's more of that remote working going mm. on. Maybe fewer opportunities for people to get that kind of one-on-one mentorship. Is that something that we should be aware of? Are, are there ways for us to be able to address that particular issue? Yeah, that's interesting, actually. It's something I've been thinking about a lot. And there's actually, actually quite some research available in this area, too, that like, if you, if you move from a, a kind of a, a face-to-face environment into a remote environment, it's very easy for the groups that were already in to stay included. And the groups that were not included are going to have an even harder time to get included when you move to a remote environment. 
because existing relationships seems to you know, be relatively easy to maintain and continue to build as you move into a virtual environment. But it, it, it seems to be harder to build brand new relationships with people that you weren't close with to start with. And I think that this might mean that groups that were potentially a bit marginalized already will have an even harder time to actually, you know, move move the needle on getting more included or, or including them more. So as a company, you need to be super intentional here. You need to be aware that this is an actual problem. Because if I take as an example, if you in a physical office space, if I as a woman, I walked by a boardroom and I saw that, like, I think I should be in that meeting. It's very, it, it could be an easy thing to me to actually, you know, knock on the door physically and insert myself in this meeting if, if I felt that that was a thing that I could do, right? In the virtual space, identifying the spaces where you're not included is incredibly difficult, right? Like, how do I know about the things I don't know about? Whereas in the physical space, it's at least easier to identify and, and if, if you're not being included. So that's just, there's, there's many different levels of complexity to this, but I think that this is something that companies need to be, need to be very aware and very intentional of. So I think the programs like that and any type of activity that you're doing in this area is gonna have to be intensified and designed for the virtual world because you're not gonna be able to rely on some of the things that you were able to rely on when you were in an office space. Do you get the sense that there are certain sectors or maybe certain kinds of businesses that are more willing to recognize a lot of these things, such as unconscious bias or just the need to you know, make sure that the workplace culture is more equitable? Good question. I'm not sure I want to like generalize like across industry sectors. I think that some sectors are, are more diverse to start with already today. Like we have some sectors that have had high female, you know, uh, high level of, of number of females and, and good gender equality between women and men, for example, for a long time, right? And then we know that there's a lot of industries there that are still struggling. So I, that's, I guess, an, an, an interesting way of looking at it. It's like, okay, if you were already pretty good, then you're probably just going to get better and better. But if, you're, if you weren't very good, it's, it's going to take a lot of hard work now to catch up and, and try to become, you know, okay, right? So I think it, it is often what you see in companies is that it's a self-reinforcing, like, um, spiral, right? Like, as soon as you get some diversity, you see that additional diversity gets easier and easier and easier to build. I think that um, often you see that, for example, companies with, with a high level of, of females in, in the executive teams also drive higher levels of other types of diversity in the companies. So I think that there's some, uh, there's some self-reinforcement that's happening there for sure. Well, the other thing I think is interesting though, is especially when we're talking about like proper communication channels and all that, but some companies, maybe they think, hey, I've struck a committee, uh, we're making things more diverse, and maybe th there's the risk of, you know, maybe just tokenism, you know, taking hold as opposed to real change. Is mm -hmm. that something that companies also need to be aware of that's, you know, just kind of slapping a Band-Aid on things might not necessarily institute, you know, long-term change within their organizations? Yeah, and I think that this is like the, the difference between diversity and inclusion, right? Like you can for sure be diverse without being inclusive, and I think that that's when tokenism comes into it for me, right? Okay, we've, we've, we have a board and now we have one or two women on our board and, and all of a sudden we feel that we're, we might be diverse, but are we really inclusive? And inclusivity to me has to do with every individual being really able to contribute 
that um, that unique perspective that they're bringing, right? So if we have an organization where we have 50% men and 50% women, but women aren't able to contribute the unique perspectives that they might have because of who they are. And the same goes for other types of diverse group age or or whatever it might be, right? Like if those groups aren't able to properly feel included, feel heard and, and, abil- and able to contribute their diverse perspectives, then you haven't really gained anything with diversity, right? Uh, so I think that the contribution piece here from those groups is, is incredibly important. Yeah, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll get, say, press releases from companies touting how diverse they are, and then I'll take a look at um, their uh, leadership page, mm. and it looks very monolithic in, in terms of who's in the C-suite, for example. Yeah. Do, you know, is that something that, I don't know, we have to make sure that it is kind of representative you know, from top to bottom as well? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think that, yeah, again, diversity is, is in, in the different levels of the company is important, but, but it's like inclusivity is as well, right? Because I think that if you only make traction on, on diversity, even if it is at a, a senior executive level, but, but the people that are seen as coming from diverse groups aren't able to participate their ideas, then you're not going to really get the benefit. And, and as I said, again, like then, it becomes tokenism regardless on what level of the company it is. Like real inclusion to me has to do with those individuals being able to contribute those perspectives. And if they don't feel like they can do that, for example, by feeling that they're constantly being um, judged differently or, you know, their, their ideas that they're contributing are that they're evaluated in a biased way or, or whatever it might be, right? Like then, then you're not going to get those benefits of, of having tried to create a diverse organization. Well, you know, I appreciate you taking the time to kind of bring these ideas more to the forefront. And you guys over at Thought Exchange, I mean, it's part of what your raison d'etre is at this point. And so it's just kind of a cool thing that's going on here in British Columbia. But uh, Jessica, thank you again for joining us on the show. Thanks so much. Take care. That's Jessica Nordlander. She is the Chief Operating Officer at Thought Exchange, and that's it for the show today. I'm Tyler Orton, and if you're interested in more interviews, more stories, you can go to BIV.com. 